sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. Hallelujah. What a hearty welcome. Well, I want you to give a resounding applause to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, your word says, unto you shall the gathering of the people be. This morning we are gathered in your presence. We pray that you will speak to us through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you opened the heart of Lydia to receive your word. This morning I pray that every heart here will be open to receive your word. I pray that we will with meekness receive the engrafted word of God, which is able to save our souls. Holy Spirit, you are the speaker, you are the teacher, you are the counselor. Have your way this morning. Change our lives for good and touch us so that we can also touch the world. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for this vessel of clay that you have chosen to use. Let the will of the Father be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Please take your seats. Well, I want to thank God. It's always a privilege and an opportunity, an opportunity not taken for granted to be able to bring God's word to his people. God could have chosen any vessel, so it's an honor when you are chosen. Amen. And I want to extend my appreciation to Pace Ghana, first of all, for their vision. Because these days, young people, you have all sorts of visions. So to have a spiritual vision is noteworthy and worthy of praise. So God bless you for that vision. And I believe that it will come to pass. I also want to thank Reverend Mrs. Betty Donko, who has pushed for me to be here this morning. And um, I give God the glory. Amen. I want to thank my husband for releasing me to be here this morning. And for accepting to not have me do his breakfast for him this morning. Amen. Well, we want to talk about what God's heart is. And 
how we can also cultivate that kind of heart and live here with that kind of heart and with the zeal and desire and commitment to be like Jesus and to touch the world around us. Amen. So I will have to share very short verses from Titus chapter 2. I hope you know where the word of God is, just like you know how to find things on the internet. It is more important to know where to find God's word than to find funny things on the internet. Amen? And I pray that the word of God will become your food in every way. Titus chapter 2. Do you know where Titus is? We're not talking about your friend Titus. Reading from verse 11. I don't hope to be too long. For the grace of God has appeared. King James, rather. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. Amen. Well, Paul is the writer of Titus. And he's saying, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. The Bible says that for by grace are you saved and not by our works. It is the gift of God. So Christians like touting the grace of God and the grace of God is real because salvation does not come through works. After all, Isaiah 64 says that our good works are like filthy rags before God. So our own good works, our own efforts cannot earn us salvation. Therefore, God sent his grace. And when that grace appears to you and you respond to that grace, you give your life to Christ and you become a child of God. So if the Bible says that the grace of God has appeared to you, the grace of God comes for a reason. It comes so that you will be saved. It doesn't just come. It comes to bring something. And one of the cardinal things the grace of God brings is salvation. Amen, somebody. Now, grace is not by force. Grace means something you didn't work for, something you didn't pay for, something you didn't earn your way into. It just appeared. And when it appeared, it brought with it salvation. 
So I am praying that everybody here present this morning has allowed that grace to appear to you. It's not enough to be in a church even. It's not enough to be in a fellowship. It's not enough for people to even think you are Sister Oja or Brother Oja. The most important thing and the first step is that you must have encountered the grace of God for yourself. And you, have, you must have accepted Christ in that grace of God appearing to you. Because, beloved, the grace of God will not last forever. There's a time when the grace of God will run out. And that time is coming. And everybody's grace is different. I mean, I didn't know much about this famous star who just died called Ebony. I had never heard of her. I had never heard her music. And my daughter sent me pictures that, oh, this person has died. They said she's a famous person. So I asked my daughter, who is she? She said, mommy, I also don't know her. But some of you, she was your personal friend in your bedrooms. You were meditating on her words. And the words were entering you. But at 20, she must have enjoyed the grace of God from when she was born. But today she's not with us anymore. She doesn't need grace anymore. The same applies to you. We are all on a journey of life. We don't know where each person gets off as the train of life goes on. So if the grace of God is indeed appearing to you and has been appearing to you, you need to wisen up. And you need to let that grace bring you the salvation that God has. I mean, let that grace make you embrace the salvation that God has brought you away. Amen, somebody. So Titus Paul is saying the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. The first step is to accept that grace. And that grace, for by grace are you saved and not through your works. It is a gift that God gives you. But like every gift, you can choose to accept it or you can choose to refuse it. A gift is not by force. Sometimes somebody gives you a gift. You don't want it. Sometimes you even say return to sender because the gift was not claimed by anybody. And so you need to, first of all, avail ourselves of that grace of God. By the grace of God, that grace of God appeared to me from the age of nine. And it saved me from a lot of foolish things. So sometimes when people say, oh, you know, you have served God and we think your life is so beautiful and there's nothing like that. It's the grace of God. And when you accept Christ, you look as if you are very good. You made smart choices and, you know, you took the right decisions. There's nothing like that. It's the accepting of the grace that brings salvation. Is able to make you wise. The Bible says the scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. Amen. So having accepted that grace of God delivered me from a lot of foolish things. 
that I am sure I would have based in fully. But the grace of God that appeared to me from the age of nine kept me and has kept me up to this time. Amen. And I don't regret it. Some of you say, Lady Reverend, let me go and see the world small and come. I just think, what does the world have to offer really? What does the world have to offer that Christ does not offer more of? There's nothing like that. When I got to form two, I wanted to become a guy, but by the grace of God, it didn't work. When I got to first year, I said, oh, these Griffith people, they are boring. Even their jokes are not funny to me. So I wish I could find another way out. But the seed was there. The grace of God had appeared. And God's grace did not let me go. And that grace is what I stand in even up to today. Amen. If it were not the grace of God, I don't think I'll be here. So the first thing the grace of God does for you is to bring you salvation. The second thing the grace of God does for you is to teach you certain lessons. If you like, to give you certain commandments. The Bible says, teaching us. So it's not just grace, oh, I'm saved, but the grace of God is your teacher. And the grace of God is supposed to give you enlightenment and teach you something. So you can't just accept the grace of God, but you are not learning anything. You have not been taught anything. As you are is how you are. And then when we say, you say, oh, three days before I accepted Christ, but you paid no price. I went to a shop during the week. And after I'd gone through the prices, whatever, with the guy, he said to me, Madam, can I ask you a question? I said, yes, ask me. He said, uh, do you think God minded about a celebrity's dressing and all that? Do you think it matters? Do you think that what some of the pastors were saying that she has to stop dressing this way, she has to do that? Do you think it matters? Do you think she's going to heaven? And I said, well. The Bible has said that if we shall confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. But the same Bible has said that for everything we have done in this flesh, we shall give an account for everything. So you may even be saved. But when you get to heaven, you go before a tribunal. The Bible says you will be judged according to what you have done in this flesh will be judged according to the talents that have been given us and what we use it for. We'll be judged according to the graces and the gifts. So there's judgment. So what you have done in this flesh, whether it was to the glory of God, to the glory of fans, to the glory of men, the Bible is that I didn't write it. We'll give an account. Amen. So salvation is sometimes not as cheap as we make it. The grace of God, after bringing you salvation, teaches you certain lessons. Lady Reverend, what are those lessons? One, that denying ungodliness. Denying ungodliness. 
Amen? What does it mean to deny? To deny means to refuse to refuse to give you access. You know sometimes you are typing in something and then it says access denied. Isn't it? And to deny means you went to ask something of your parents and they said you can't have it. Am I right? So then what does it mean to deny yourself? To deny ungodliness means to deny yourself of certain things. Now, denial only comes after there's been a request. So when you read Matthew 16 verse 24, the Bible says, Then Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Amen. He said, if any man. He didn't say, oh, it's for only some people. Oh, if you are a bishop, you don't have to deny yourself. If you are a lady reverend like me, you don't have to deny yourself. If you are very religious, you don't have to deny yourself. There's nothing like that. There are many things we have to deny. And one of the things this verse is saying in Titus 2 is denying ungodliness. Denying. It means that the request will come. But you have to say no. And access denied. What does ungodly mean? Ungodly means being unlike God. And when we deny ungodliness, it means that ungodliness is always knocking at our door. What are some of the things that are ungodly? I don't like to preach above heads. Pornography is ungodly. My husband is working a lot with young people. And the things that are going on are so heartbreaking, mind-boggling. I can't even, sometimes when he comes to me, he says, you won't believe. Today I did counseling and this and that. I said, you know, it's okay. He says, why? I said, I've got up to here with it. And it breaks my heart. And when you have gone to bed, I can't sleep. I get up and when you see me, you say, oh, but Lady Reverend, what has happened to you? I am at the corner of my living room somewhere. Just on my knees, I'm trying to pray. I can't pray. I'm crying. Because the stories are terrible. Broken lives. Demonic holds. And we're all in the church. We're all in the church. Two weeks ago, I was talking to a young man who grew up in the church. Very promising. And I was in my house when I got a call. Oh, this young man is being discharged from the mental hospital for drugs. So please, we need money to discharge him. I hadn't seen him for a while because he went off to boarding school. And I thought every time I don't see him, oh, he's in boarding school. Not knowing when he went to boarding school, he was not able to deny ungodliness. So he joined a group. That introduced him to drugs. 
And so the last I heard of him two weeks ago, he was in the mental hospital, and I was being asked to contribute to pay for his discharge. So I paid, and I said, let him meet me in church on Sunday. I was so shocked, because I knew him as a little boy. So when I saw him in church, I could see that he was on medication and all that. I mean, proper medication, not drugs, but that effect of a little. So I spoke to him. I said, so what do you want to do now? Oh, Lady Reverend, I, I think I should go back to school. I said, so where are your mates now? Are they in SHS 3 or? No, Lady Reverend, they are in second year of university. I said, so where you went to follow Satan? Where has it brought you to? He was looking at me. I said, you know, I can't do certain things for you. You have to deny ungodliness. Deny yourself of certain things. Because I can talk, I can pray, I can bind, I can lose, I can release. But your will is with you. And I can't do anything about it. I can intercede for you, yes. But even Jesus, he stands at the door of your heart and he's knocking. But unless you open, there's some cooperation from you. He can't do much. Then I said, I want to see you again. I want to have a session with you on Tuesday. So make sure you come. On Monday morning, I turn on my phone and the person who brought him to see me says, Oh, I don't think he'll come on Tuesday. Because the man who sells the drugs was in church on Sunday. And he went to talk to the man, the church of God. He may not necessarily be a church member. But now, the wolves are among the sheep. And unless the sheep says no, the world says, say no to drugs. Say no to abuse. Say no to this is the same as denying ungodliness. Amen? You know the things you have in your lives and in your school. Some of you, your parents don't even know. You have a dual life. You have what you present to us and you have what is behind the facade. Am I speaking the truth? I think it's time to embrace the grace of God and allow the grace of God to teach you that denying ungodliness. Denying ungodliness means something that you know Jesus will not do. You don't do, even in the dark. Most of the time people say, oh, somebody will see me, but they don't think about God who is seeing them. The Bible says, all things are naked unto him with whom we have to do. Everything is naked to God. But we are always dealing with men. You want your pastor to think you are the best. Amen? So number one, the grace of God brings salvation. Number two, it teaches us certain lessons. The first lesson it teaches us is that we should deny ungodliness. There's ungodliness everywhere. In examinations, there's ungodliness. My husband says it's, it's called apostolic. Apo is apostolic. 
So Lady Reverend, but if I don't join the crowd, what are the, but it is ungodliness. You don't do things because it's advantageous to you. You do things because it is right in God's sight. It may not be right in the sight of men, but it is right in God's sight. Turn to the person next to you and say, deny ungodliness. The second thing we need to deny is worldly lusts. Denying worldly lusts. It means the world has a whole array of lusts. I was just doing a Bible study and before even this verse and God was saying to me that the main problem of this generation is lusts. And he uses S. Lust, different types. I said, really? Is it scriptural? God said it's scripture. So I started to have a Bible study on lust with S. There's worldly lust. There's fleshly lust. There's own lust. Oh, there are about 12 of them. Different lusts. Fleshly lusts. Worldly lusts. It means the things that the world lusts after. What does 1 John 2, 15 say? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Lust is uncontrolled and unbridled desires. Desires that you want at any cost, even the cost of your salvation, the cost of your walk with God, the cost of whether God is even pleased with you is immaterial because you lust after something and that is the world. So First John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And he says that if you love the world, automatically, the love of the Father is not in you. It's not a, it's not a, a 50-50, oh, Lady Reverend, you know, I just want to be a serious Christian, but it's the world. If you love the world, you can't love God. The love of the Father cannot be in you. If the love of the Father is in you and you love the world, it will kill the love of the Father. Then let's continue, verse 16 of First John. For all that is in the world, all that is in the world, are we in the world, beloved? Do we live in the world? Then it means all these things are around us. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, some of you are saying, oh, but lady, reverend, the world is different from Satan. But the Bible describes Satan as the God of this world. So when you love the world, your God is a different God. I'm sorry. You may sing praises. You may even say you fall under the power. But the love of the Father is not in you. Sometimes you fall under the power, but it's not the power that God is ministering. But demons are reacting. Amen? So when it says denying worldly lusts, 
The Bible has defined for us the lust of the eyes. Pornography loves the lust of the eyes. What do you see? I was in a second cycle school and the young people came up and said, oh, lady reverend, my main problem is pornography. I said, really? How does that come about? Lady reverend, the problem is my phone. The problem is not your phone. The problem is you. You are the user of the phone. You decide where you are going. You decide your choices. You make your decisions. Let's stop putting blame at the wrong places. And let's be real. Amen, young people. The problem is not your phone. And if it means not having a phone, that is what is going to cost you to follow God. Deny yourself. It means that when yourself says, I want this. This is the pleasure I want. This is what will make me happy. This is what will make me have some sensations. You say to the flesh, no. Access denied. That is what it means to deny yourself. It means that flesh will always make demands. Your eyes will always make demands. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The flesh. The flesh is the five senses. What does the flesh like to do? The flesh likes to sleep and not pray. My line. When you are watching a movie, you are very alert. And your parents feel, oh, they don't even watch movies, but your laptop is your pastor. And your laptop has been ministering to you very powerfully. And your laptop is not for messages or interesting things. It's for things that when somebody opens the door, you switch it off. Am I dialing your numbers? The last of the flesh. The flesh likes to sleep. What did Jesus tell his disciples? I was in Takradi over the weekend, last week, and then somebody came to my mom and they were talking. My mom said, hmm... That's why, you see, the Bible says, hmm, the spirit is willing, oh, but the flesh is weak. So the flesh, you know, it is weak. I said, no. Jesus didn't end there. He said, pray therefore that you do not enter into temptation. So he gave us a way of escape. But we like saying, oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You have quoted half the verse. He showed us a way out. He said, pray therefore that you enter not into temptation. And it is a prayerless generation. It is a program-oriented generation. But it is a prayerless generation. It's not surprising that you fall left, right, and center. Even Jesus was tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane. How did he overcome the Son of God? He overcame by prayer. And you, your two-by-four faith. You think you don't need prayer. <laughs> Lady Reverend, what does prayer do? Jude 21. And you, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. How? Praying in the spirit. Building up yourself. You don't just get up and you are strong. 
Some of you, you go to the gym. Some of you, you want six pack. I was in Makola not long ago, the tail end of last year, and I was shocked to see the things that were on sale. They were selling hips. They were selling the backside. And they were selling six pack. And tummies for men. I was so shocked. I was with some of my assistants. So I stood by the table. I was passing by. I said, hey, it's a Oh, yes, madam. Open medium, small, large. What a shock. So even the six pack, everything is artificial. Even the six pack, now you buy it. But if you want to be strong, the world goes to the gym all the time and it builds itself up. In the same way spiritually, Jude 21 says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. How? Praying in the spirit. Denying worldly lusts does not just come. Number one, it comes from your own decision and your own commitment to God. Number two, it comes by doing things like prayer. Amen? The only prayer you pray is the worship prayer that they do, congregational prayer on Sunday mornings. It's like some sprinkling on the ice cream, some topping. And then that's it. But God wants you in your closet to know him. And God wants you in your closet to build up yourself. Why do you build up yourself? Because the opponent is also strong. Jesus said, I give you power against all the power of the enemy. Not the weakness of the enemy, the power. So the enemy also has some power. Amen? And God gives you weapons that will allow you to overcome. But you are following the last of the eyes. How will you have time now? To even spend time with God. You won't have time. You don't have time for your books. You don't have time for prayer. You don't have time to study the Bible for yourself. Any wind of change that blows, you are going. No, I've heard there's a program here. You are there. I've heard there's prophetic here. You are there. I've heard you are here. You never grow. Because you can't plant a tree. From here you plant. From here you plant. From here. It cannot have roots in itself. It will die. Amen? The last of the flesh, the last of the eyes. I told you the flesh likes to sleep. The flesh likes to eat. This is a generation that does not fast. So, we just live by faith, you know. Don't believe in fasting. Jesus said this type of demon, it does not come out except through prayer and fasting. It's not my own doctrine. He told the disciples when they came from the Mount of Transfiguration, they were not able to cast them, some demons out. He said, this type of demon does not come out except through prayer and fasting. You cannot lay your stomach aside even up to 12 noon. It's a problem. Because you are a totally fleshly Christian. Denying worldly lusts. The lust of the flesh. Food. Touch. Essential, but tactile. The five senses. Touch. It's part of the senses. 
Every day a boy must touch you. Look. Now, it's not easy for the brothers who. The sisters are chasing them seriously. Serious. I've had youth services and then the, the men come, even the instrumental. I said, Lady Reverend, they are sending us letters. I don't know who gave them my number. They are sending me their numbers. Ah. The Bible says, when a man has found a good thing, a, a wife, he has found a good thing, not the good thing finding the man. Amen, ladies? You need a bit of Holy Ghost class. Not to be chasing the men. Amen? The five senses touch. And then hearing. What you hear. The lust of the flesh is describing the world. It's when you say worldly lust. What does it mean? Things that move you by what you hear. Some of you, the type of music you hear is not good. Don't tell me music does not influence you. Why is it that when the fetish priest is coming, he comes with music? Music influences you. Why is it that when you haven't entered a certain atmosphere, you are okay? But when you enter some atmosphere with some dim light and some music, tonight I celebrate my love for you. you. Something is doing me, Lady Reverend. Something is doing me. What is happening to you? The influence and the spirit of that music is influencing you. Sometimes you come to church, you are down. And then a music, um, a worship song is raised. Thou, oh Lord, I shield. Immediately, you start to worship and the burden lifts. Don't tell me music. If demons could be driven out of soul by music, then demons can also come in by music. And I have no apologies. Music makes people remove their clothes. Music makes people feel a certain way. The Bible says, be careful what you hear. What you hear influences you. Amen? Some of you say, well, Lady Reverend, it's not me, it's the radio that is on. The radio. You can control the radio. Amen. All these things are the last of the flesh. And you and I must deny the last of the flesh. What else is the last of the flesh? What you hear, what you see, what you taste, what you touch. And what else? What you smell. Oh, and I don't have an example. <laughs> But whatever the flesh dictates to you, you shouldn't follow. We all have flesh. We cannot deny that. If you deny that, then you are not genuine. We all have flesh, and the flesh will say so many things to you, but you have to say, access denied. Access denied. You have a sister you are very close to. You see, 
The Bible says, make straight paths for your feet. You, this generation, you don't make straight paths for your feet. <laughs> I'm going to visit him and then we will share the word of God. The room is dark. The brother is lying on the bed. You go and sit by him on the bed. And then you say, shall we turn to John, 1 John 2.15? Then as he's turning the Bible, he turns other things. Then you say, oh, stop it. I like it. Stop it. Stop it. I like it. What have you done? You have given access to the flesh. The Bible says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its last thereof. Make no provision. But some of you, you have provided for the flesh fully. Fully. And the one you finish it, I'm always falling because the flesh, in the flesh dwelleth no good thing. That's what the Bible says. So you don't entertain the flesh, give it the things it wants, and then later you say, I'm not strong. Brave. No matter how strong you are, you don't do some foolish things because the flesh is a flesh. Amen? I once talked to a pastor. A pastor, this is not a game. It's not a myth. It's not a Nigerian movie. He was telling me, hey, Lady Heaven, I went here to uh, follow up a sister. Hey, Lady Heaven, it wasn't easy. I said, why, what happens? Hey. She said, come in. When I got there, she said, Pastor, I would like to lie down to listen to you. So she lay down. When she lay down, before I knew she was topless, I said, hey, so what did you do? Did you run? I continue the Bible study. I say, you are a fool. You are a fool. Excuse me to say, you are a fool. What does 2 Timothy 2.22 say? Flee youthful lust. It didn't say, fight youthful lust. It didn't say, negotiate youthful lust. It said, flee. And you, you are greater than Joseph. So you stayed and had the Bible study. Hallelujah. It was after I realized that God had delivered me. I said, excuse me, with all due respect, you are a fool. Total and complete. God delivered you, but you are a fool. The Bible says, flee youthful lusts, because there are certain lusts associated with youth, which is created by God. But God gives you the fruit of the Holy Spirit so that you will walk in self-control. Amen? So your flesh is the same. When you get born again, your flesh is the same. It's a spirit man that has changed. But the spirit man is supposed to dominate the flesh and make it serve God. Amen? Denying worldly lusts. Titus 2. I hope you've written 2 Timothy 2.22 to know that you should flee youthful lusts. And that we talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You see, when I was in Volta Hall, some people wanted what they didn't have. They want a man who would sponsor them. They wanted their rooms to be a certain way. And because their parents could not afford it, because of the pride of life, they decided to take boyfriends who would sponsor them. Mr. Otria. Do you understand? Mr. Otria is a man who cheers, who pays. Okay. Mr. Otia. 
And why do people go into all this? The pride of life. They want to look a certain way that they are not. They want to keep up with the Joneses. You want a phone which you don't have because your parents cannot afford and you cannot afford. Trust God at the right time. You will get a phone. But not that, oh, lift up your skirt for a few minutes and I'll buy you a phone. That is the pride of life. You want to show yourself to be something you are not. You want to be, what, spreading people when the money you don't have. So because of the pride of life, you lead yourself into all sorts of worldly lusts. But I know that this morning, the Lord is delivering you from many things. Amen. Titus 2, back to Titus 2. The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying all ungodly lusts and ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. Number three, a life of soberness. The grace of God teaches you all these things, to live soberly. To live soberly. Lady, what does it mean to live soberly? It means to live not by emotions, excitement, or under the influence of something else other than the Holy Spirit. In America, when you are driving, they said, he's been arrested for driving under the influence. The influence of what? It could be the influence of drugs. It could be the influence of alcohol. And why is it a crime? Because it clouds your judgment. When you see a tree, you say it's a bridge. Because you are under the influence of something and you drive right into it and you lose your life. So now they arrest you for driving under the influence of something. And you also as a Christian, God is calling us to live soberly. Soberly means with temperance, you know, like with control, self-control. The Bible says self, not other control. It's not your pastor controlling you. It's not your father controlling you. It's not your mother controlling you. God puts all those people in your life to shaping you up. But at the end of the day, the control is in your hands. You are the driver of your life. So self-control helps you to live soberly. You are not living under the influence of alcohol or the influence of some senior at school who is teaching you bad things or some influence of some friend you think you must please at all costs. But living soberly, soberly in such a way that you can take sensible decisions. You can take godly decisions. You can take the right decisions. The grace of God teaches you to live soberly. To be sober. To be sober means not to have your emotions all over the place. Everything you feel like doing, you do. You live soberly. It's also something the grace of God does. And then to live righteously. A word hardly heard in our time. People don't like to hear righteously. So Jesus has become our righteousness, so we don't need to do anything. If Jesus has become your righteousness, then show it. The Bible says the grace of God is available to teach us how to live righteously. There's more sin sometimes in the church of God than in the world out there. Sometimes even things that unbelievers will not do, believers will do. Because righteousness 
has gone out of the window. But the grace of God is supposed to lead you to live righteously. Remember what does righteously mean? It means right living in the sight of God. That's what righteously means. Right living in the sight of God. Remember what can, how can I know what is righteous? Every time you come up with something, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? If Jesus were here, what would he do in a situation like this? And also, what does the Bible say I should do? <laughs> I've fallen in love with entertainment perfectly. This love is different. This love is different, Lady Reverend. I don't think you have experienced it before, Lady Reverend. And then if I have to counsel you, I take you to the Bible and I say, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, number one. Number two, you are just in SHS. It is not likely that you can make any sober judgment. You see, your judgment is very limited, but I know when you are this age, you feel you know. I remember when I finished O-level, I thought that I knew everything. And I just wanted to do an 18-month course so that a short course, I don't think life should be so long. Why do people do law? Six years, five years. Why do people do medicine? Seven years. Why do people do a degree? Four years. I looked, I said, look, don't people know that there are shorter courses in life? There's 18 months I become a secretary. That's what I'm going to do. Not because that is all I could do. There's nothing wrong with being a secretary. But my motives were not right. My motives were that, why do people go to school for so long? It's not necessary. You see, that's why you have to live soberly. And um, so I shared with my dad, how many of you know that when we are going to talk to our parents, we don't say the real thing. We use some. So I said, you know, I feel that my strengths are in languages and uh, I think that if I become bilingual, I can really... So my dad was listening. said, uh-huh. So um, I, I know that there's a course in Accra and it's 18 months and... I want to go and do that course. My dad said, no, but you have qualified for law school. So just go to law school. I said, no, I believe that the child's interest is paramount, that the parents must not force the child to do things that the child does not want. Therefore, you see, all my facts were. <laughs> then my dad said, okay, you go and do the law. When you finish, I will help you do the 18 month course. So it has become longer than even I was planning. <laughs> do you see? But when I look back, I thank God that my father did not care about my feelings. And my whole uh, uh, essay and thesis about 55 reasons why I must choose myself. I'm so happy he didn't listen to that. And after that, he asked me, so now that you've finished law school and all, would you like the 18-month course? Daddy, I'm tall. I'm okay. But my reasons were not good reasons. My reasons were that I want a shortcut to life. And most of you are like that. You feel you are smarter than your parents. You know love more than your parents. You look at your parents and say, these people, they are not romantic at all. They should let me show them. They were more romantic than you, but you don't know. Amen? And therefore, your judgment is warped. 
And that is why the psalmist said, thy word is a lamp. I'm in darkness, Lord. I don't know the way, but thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now you are here. You never ask God's word about anything. You say you love the entertainment prefect. What God says is immaterial to you. But when you live soberly, when you live soberly, you will live also and righteously. You will live according to the tenets of God's word. I'm sure my time is fast spent. Let's run. Back to Titus chapter 2. And godly. I like this phrase so much. In this present world. Because some of us, we read it, we say, oh, this is in heaven. It's now. In this present world, you are supposed to allow the grace of God to let you live without ungodliness, without worldly lusts, to live soberly and to live righteously and godly in this present world. Lady Reverend, is it possible to be godly in this present world? It is possible. I forget. I wanted to give you a verse on hearing. Because some of you think that you can listen to anything and everything and there's nothing wrong. Second Peter 2 verse 8. So I'm just regressing a bit. It's talking about Lot being in Sodom. And it says, For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day, with their unlawful deeds. In what? Seeing and hearing. He was a righteous man, but when he was among them, what he was seeing and what he was hearing, it vexed his righteous soul. So what you see and what you hear affects you. Amen? That's why we should deny ungodliness. Anyway, back to, to live godly in this present world. You see, the world has its own standards. And unfortunately, we have bought into it. Everything the world does, we do, and sometimes even worse. But when you read Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. Beloved, if your mind does not change, you will not change. If your mind does not change from how the world thinks, you will never change. You will just be a plastered Christian. You are plastered with salvation, but inside, there's no change. So God tells us when we become born again that renew your mind, change it, transform it. Otherwise, you will do things the way the world does. How do we transform our minds? By the word of God. The word of God has transformed my mind a lot. It will transform your mind about marriage. Because some of you, you think marriage is the man lives here and the woman lives here and in the evening she cooks and she puts on powder and she crosses to this side. Do you know why you know that? Because it's gone marriage and you lived in a communal setting. So that's what you know. It's not your fault. But when you come into Christ, God says, renew your mind. Some of you say, Lady Reverend, 
How can you marry somebody you have not tested sexually? Because it's, it's your mind. But the Bible says your body is the temple of the living God. You have never known your body to be a temple. You have always known it to be a kiosk. A lot of kiosk where anybody buys. Lot of kiosk everybody can uh, afford. Whether you are buying five CDs, 20 CDs, everybody. But when you come into Christ, the Bible tells you, no, the kiosk situation has changed. You are now a temple. You are where Jesus dwells. Can you bring in certain things into the temple that God doesn't want? No, you can't. So you renew your mind. Amen? That is how to live godly in this present world. In this present world, anything goes. In this present world, you do what suits you. But the grace of God comes to teach us that we cannot live that way. Amen. Amen. Titus chapter 2, the next verse. (laughs) Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace of God will teach you to look for that blessed hope. Many of you don't even think about the coming of Christ. It's not part of your thinking that Christ is coming at all. That's why you can even claim to be born again and have any lifestyle. Because you don't think that Christ is coming. In our time, we lived with the rapture in view. This week I was praying. I said, Lord, I want to have a bed and I, I want to always look for the appearing. Not just to be there and know that. Christ will come one day, but looking for that blessed hope. It is a hope that Christians have, and that makes them live a certain way. Because either God comes or you get called. Like my husband says, when you stand under a tree, brown leaves fall, green leaves fall. Children die. Look at this star who has died at 20. My heart was so broken. I said, a young life like this, 20 years, what does she even know? Now here yesterday also was her 21st birthday. So young. But when I was 20, I didn't think I was young. I thought I was with it. But you are so young. Now when you live without looking for that blessed hope, you live anyhow. But when you live of the consciousness that there's a certain blessed hope, we have another world in view. Our Savior has gone to prepare a place for us. We have another world in view. Paul said, I count all things but dung for the excellency of the knowledge of him. How can you count Mercedes-Benz dung that that man is offering you, that man with the big pot belly? How can you count money dung? When is the thing you need the most? How can you count all the lovely things in the world dung when you are looking for that blessed hope? When you are looking for that blessed hope, everything on, on earth and in the world pales in comparison to that blessed and glorious hope. But many of us, there's no such hope. We are not conscious that Jesus is coming again. We are not conscious that in my father's house, he said, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I've told you. He said, it's going to be streets of gold. We used to sing, we shall be in the new Jerusalem. You know, you are thinking that you shall be in Trasaco. You shall be in Islegon. 
But the glorious gospel, the glorious appearing is not to be compared to all these earthly things that today are up and tomorrow are down. But you don't have any hope in you. But it's time to reorient your faith and look for that blessed hope. Sometimes I've lost loved ones, but because of that blessed hope, we don't sorrow unto death because we know that we'll meet again. When you are looking for that blessed hope, you are concerned about the souls of men. Where are they going? This young lady who was called so quickly, where is she going? Some people say, oh, three days before, she gave her life to Christ. But the Bible says, you can be saved as through fire. That's not good. Fire, it means everything God bent, including the clothes you are wearing. You are just saved. And then when you appear before God, you are now coming to give an account of your life. Looking for that blessed hope. It's time to look for that blessed hope every day in your life. The earlier Christian said, Maranatha. And what it meant, come quickly, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. It's time to start meditating on verses that will bring you nearer to that blessed hope. Amen. <clears throat> Looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing. Oh, beloved, it's not going to be a small appearing. Oh. Glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Next verse, and I'm ending on verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from some iniquity. That he might redeem us from a large part of iniquity. That he might redeem us from the very easy iniquities. That he might redeem us from all. You know, what does all mean? All means without exception. All means not leaving anything out. Jesus saved you, not just for salvation's sake, but he saved you that he might redeem us. Redeem means to buy back. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave to Satan. You were doomed for hell. And then Jesus came and paid the price and bought you and I. But he didn't just buy us and leave us there and say the grace is enough. He bought us and redeemed us that he might, he bought us so that he might redeem us from all iniquity. So one of the things that must live your life and you must believe God for is that you can be free from all iniquity. Amen, somebody? Because Jesus Christ already paid the price. And when he redeemed us from iniquity, it wasn't enough. He didn't leave us like that. The Bible says, and purify. So that's the next step, okay? All iniquity. The grace of God appears. Jesus Christ comes into your life to redeem you from all iniquity. And then, that he might purify unto himself. Oh my goodness. What does it mean to purify? To wash from sin. To wash from iniquity. To make pure. That he might purify us. I have a problem with some of the salvation messages that leave us just there. Because if Christ is indeed in you, there must be a work in you. God cannot come into you and you remain the same. Nobody met Jesus and remained the same. My beloved, God delivers us from our enemies, not our friends. So if you have a sin that is your friend, he cannot deliver you because you like it. 
But if it's your enemy, then he can deliver you from it. And he might purify unto himself a peculiar people. You are not a normal person. A peculiar person is an odd person. So that's the next step. The grace of God appears to make you a peculiar person. Now, I lived in a Jewish community some years ago. They had all the long beards. And they have some of their hair that they've curled here. Even in Israel, you see them. And they are wearing the yarmulke. And then when they are praying, they go like this. Everybody in the community is Jewish. When we went to Israel, they came to inform us, please, tomorrow is Shabbat. So your beds will not be laid. Hot water will not be made for tea. You virtually have to look after yourself. And we said, oh, okay, no problem, because Johnny just came. We didn't think it was a big deal. But the next morning, we saw that even lift, they don't press the Jews, because it's work. It was their Sabbath day. So they don't press the lift. Oh, by morning of the Sabbath, that's Saturday, they've programmed the lift. So the lift stops at every floor, whether there's somebody there or not. Because for them, pressing the lift button is work. Number two, they didn't lay our beds like they had said. Number three, they didn't give us hot water because they can't boil. They put cold food there if you can eat it because we are a peculiar people. They are God's people. Even though they may not believe in Jesus, they believe in the Ten Commandments and the rules they were given. So they are very odd. When you go anywhere where they live, they are very odd. When I was with those Jewish people, they don't sign checks on Saturday because writing is work. Right, right. Odd people. And they are odd even up to today in the world. They are odd everywhere. There's a Jewish community. They are different and they are odd. You too have been called to be a peculiar person. We are not supposed to blend in with the world. We are not supposed to look like the world. We are not supposed to be celebrated by the world. The world is supposed to look at us and say, ah, so you, you don't have a boyfriend, you are queer. So you, you are a virgin, you are queer. So you, you don't watch pornography, you are queer. So you, you preach all the time, you are queer. So you, you don't take men for money, you are queer. So you, you don't involve in sexual indecency, you are queer. That's how it's supposed to be. You are not supposed to, they are not supposed to tell you, I like your Christianity. I like your Christianity, your Christianity is like the world. A peculiar people. How many young people are ready to be peculiar for Jesus? Peculiar for Jesus. And to not mind the cost. May the Lord help you. As you have raised your hands. May the Lord use you to change your generation. Beloved, growing up as a Christian, I am a peculiar person. When I got my beloved, he used to come and visit me in Takradi. My brothers were not born again. Today they are pastors. And some of them used to ask me, so this guy, you say he's what? Your beloved. That's the term you use. I said yes. So as he has come, you have been sitting in the sitting room with him. You have not gone to the room with him. What is the relationship for? My brothers asked me. I said we are beloveds, but God's word does not allow us to involve in, to be involved in any sexual misconduct. 
So when we marry, we will fulfill all righteousness. You know what they said? They said, oh, then the relationship, you know, they hear. You know, they hear at all, the relationship. Because for them, the reason why you have a beloved is so that you can sleep with him. So I was queer. But that also earned their respect. And that also touched them. And today, they are all pastors preaching the gospel. Because I was a peculiar person. By the grace of God. Amen. And they could see. Right? That's what this house says. She is peculiar. And my friends too are peculiar. When my friends come, we are happy. Good to see you. Charlie, I listened to some message. Eh? It wasn't easy. It was talking about it. Then we would jump. Charlie, revelation. And when they are passed, it's like, is this something to be happy about? You are a peculiar person. The way we dressed and still dress. You are a peculiar person. I wouldn't like to come and stand on stage. And then when I'm talking to you, I'm pulling my dress. I'm not sure what you are seeing. And then I'm... No. You can be fashionable and still be a peculiar person. And your peculiarity is supposed to affect the world. A peculiar people. Next and last one. Zealous of good works. Not half-hearted about good works. Not lethargic about good works. Not apathetic about good works. But zealous. What does it mean to be zealous? Jesus said, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Most of you young people, that zeal is absent. Cost 90. Amen. But Jesus made the grace of God appear to you so that you will become all these things. And lastly, he might redeem unto himself a peculiar people, zealous for good works. Amen. How come your zeal is only to watch movies? Your zeal is only to talk useless talk. There's no zeal to change the world. There's no zeal to confront sin. There's no zeal. Jesus confronted sin in the temple. He didn't say, oh, as you are selling, please try and go out there eh, so that prayer can come on. Because you know, the temple is actually a house of prayer. The child, the son of God, he took a whip and he dealt with the people. That is what you call zeal. Some of you are afraid to confront sin with your friend. You say, Lady Reverend, me, I don't want to be a snitch. I don't want to tell stories. I don't want, but you have to be able to confront her that what you are doing, according to the Bible, it is not right. So we must live in the light. And when you also fall, she must also be able to confront you. But it is absent because you are refusing to be peculiar. You are like the world. How do you tell somebody who tells tales? There's a, there's a, there's a term you use. <laughs> somebody who tells when you are doing something, tells others that you are doing. How do you say it? A snitch is English, but you have some term. Chuka, you like chuking. Go chuk my eye. Chuk my eye, I also chuk you. And it has come into the church. A peculiar people. Zealous of good works. 
You don't even know how to witness before you witness. You don't know how to share your faith. You are shy. You are embarrassed. Because you feel that the world is greater than you. But from this meeting, may the Lord change us and make us peculiar people. Zealous to preach the word. Zealous to make a difference. Zealous to touch the world. Zealous to be used by God. Zealous to walk in holiness. Zealous to walk in purity. Zealous to say, thus saith the Lord. Zealous to stand up and be counted. Zealous to be peculiar. Zealous to be different. Zealous to serve God at whatever cost. Zealous to go all the way. Zealous to deny ourselves. Zealous to preach the gospel and to change lives by our testimony. That he might redeem unto himself a peculiar people, zealous for good works. May today mark a new beginning in Jesus' name. Stand to your feet. I know it may not be the end of the program, but before I take my seat, I also want to give you, before I end, the opportunity, every eye closed and every head bowed, to give your life to Jesus. Yes, you came for this program, but you may not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You may know Jesus in a way, but you realize that you need to rededicate your life to Christ. A peculiar person is not minded about what people around her think or see. Her eyes are fixed on Jesus. You want to say, Lady Reverend, this morning, I want to be a peculiar person. I need to rededicate my life. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to start all over again. You are like that here this morning. Let your hands go up high above your shoulder. And I will pray with you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's your touch. And if you've lifted your hands, do one more thing for me. Come forward. Give me the privilege of walking hand in hand with you to the throne of grace. Come forward. You lifted your hands. God bless you. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. Help me, please. To follow Jesus, I have decided. No, it's your own decision. Come forward, come closer. Come closer. Oh, Jesus. No turning back. Oh, Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, to follow not to follow Jesus. the world, not to follow my flesh, not to follow my lust, but to follow Jesus. To follow Lady Reverend, Jesus. no matter the cost, God will help me. Yes, to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Oh, mean it with all your heart.
head bowed. Please say this prayer after me and mean it with your whole heart. Lord Jesus, this morning I come to you just as I am. Jesus, take my life and make me your child. Forgive me for my sins. Wash me and accept me as your child. This morning, I invite you to come into my life and be the Lord and the master of my life. Jesus, thank you for coming to die on the cross to save me. And thank you for rising from the dead so that I may have eternal life. And thank you that by this prayer, I have a new relationship with you. A new beginning. A beginning of victory in Jesus' name. Father, I lift up these young ones before you. Your word says you are able to keep that which we entrust unto you. I entrust them to you, Lord. Deliver them from the evil one, from all the traps and snares of Satan. Let the power that raised Christ from the dead that you have said is at work in them, let it be stirred up. And give them that power to overcome all the works of the devil and to affect their world on every continent. Use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We have some books for you. After that, you can go to your seats and the program continues. Please, we should have started from this end too. Hurry up, hurry up. Hurry up. They are not here forever. More people in the middle here. Somebody else to help. When you get the book, you can go back to your seat. Thank you. Though no one joins me till I will follow joins me still I will follow no turning back no turning back no one joins me though no one joins me still I will follow It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Rev. Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.